know you have. We would be honored if you would join us. What's happening, Far, Far Away family? Welcome to Star Wars Audio Archives. So how's everyone doing today? I hope everything is going well on your side of the galaxy. Nothing new going on out here on Outer Rim. But I do have some exciting news. Get ready to wield your lightsabers because Star Wars The Young Jedi Adventures is about to hit your screens. Disney Plus has finally announced that the series will debut on May 4th, which also happens to be Star Wars Day. And if that's not enough to send you into a hyperdrive, they already released three sneak peek videos on YouTube. The series takes us back to the High Republic era and follows the journey of some young Jedi apprentices. Together, they all navigate the galaxy, hone their Jedi skills, and lend a helping hand to those in need. Now, I've watched these shorts, and they were very fun. They had that action and adventure vibe. And if you are a kid at heart like me and have some young kids or grandkids, they will be fun to watch together. The three shorts that have been released so far give us a glimpse into the Jedi Younglings world. We meet the young Jedi and are introduced to us as characters, but there is more where that has came from. Three additional shorts will be released on YouTube over the next coming weeks, before all six shorts will become available on Disney Plus on April 26th. With an all-star cast including Emma Berman, Jamel Avery Jr., D. Bradley Baker, Juliette Donafield, Jonathan Powell, and Porter Michael. Star Wars Jedi Young Adventures promises to be a thrilling ride, so grab your popcorn and get ready to join the adventure. Let's now look back at the latest episode of Brotherhood. In the previous episode, we saw Anakin and Mill observing the beginning of the trial. While keeping a watchful eye, Anakin directs Mill to seek out a potential escape route. They then proceed to split up, with Anakin advising Mill to remain focused on the task and have faith in the Force and her abilities. While exploring the area, Mill experiences a vision of individuals in distress, but manages to compose herself. Shortly after, R2 arrives on the scene, voicing his dissatisfaction with Mill leaving him. Now let's dive into the current events and witness the unfolding of this intriguing tale. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan stood in the middle of the courtyard, and shackled in front of him. A gust of wind whipping through the hair dangling down his neck. Minister I Am spoke in a steady low cadence. An Obi-Wan committed himself to listening with an open mind, despite the urge to rebut falsehoods or misrepresentations. Let us remember the recent history between the Neimordians and the Republic. The minister said, his voice echoing in the open-air space. Note that I am not speaking of merely the Trade Federation. I am speaking of Nemodians as a people. We are often overlooked in that aspect. In fact, let me ask our emissary. When you hear the word Nemodian, what do you think of? This was a trick question. Obi-Wan had been in enough negotiations to know that questions like this were verbal minefields. The smartest, best kind of trap, because I am, was correct. Nearly all Republic citizens associated Neimordians exclusively with the Trade Federation, barely looking past things like shipping routes, particularly for those that worked in the Outer Rim. He wanted to say something about their people, their culture, but the truth was, he'd only read about it the other night. He didn't actually know it. He chose his words carefully. Independent, he said, 
Ah, I am said with a hand clap. I like that. Yes, independent. Neutral, in fact. Immune to the shouting between the Republic and the Separatists. But the problem lies here. You say independent. And while many Neymodians do work for the Trade Federation, not all of us do. Yet here you associate our people with a government that represents most, but not all. So while the Trade Federation itself is independent, and most Neymodians support that independence, you have demonstrated one of the fundamental issues here, Master Kenobi. You have linked the two together. Is that because of what the Trade Federation does? Because the Trade Federation's business is commerce itself? Not minerals or technology or vehicles or weapons. Not things Republic leaders can purchase or regulate, but something that acts as an impediment to their reach? Surely, if the Trade Federation produced spacecraft at the volume of, say, Corellia, it would be recognized for something tangible, something you could point to and say, ah, for the greater good of the galaxy. Perhaps that is why the Republic tends to keep Neymodians at a distance, and why it is so hard for Neymodians to be recognized as individuals. The words sank in, a truth to them that came with clarity. But why spend the opening of this trial discussing history? Obi-Wan's eyebrow rose as he put it together. I am new, perhaps Senator Dodd knew as well that the galaxy was listening. This, in fact, might have been the most power Neymodians ever held in a single instance, and they were going to use it to show the Republic exactly how they felt. Neymodians have a rich, beautiful culture. Look around us. We are surrounded by it. The intricate carving of the goddesses Avon and Maradine as they tell the unraveled tale. The Tower of Light, as much an architectural wonder as it is a work of art. The Museum of Neymodian Contributions. The oldest building on Cato Neymodia, a celebration of how our people's skills have benefited the galaxy. Yet are these discussed in Republic classrooms as they cover galactic culture? Not at all. The minister shook his head. To the Republic, we are a monolith, a people of business. He took another pause, though this time he broke past the facade of calm objectivity. His eyes squinted and his voice rose. A people of greed, a people of deception, perhaps... Not even a people. Minister Ayam spoke with an orator's rhythm, changing his pitch and pace in a way that precisely engaged with anyone who listened. 
And though the crowd in the square stood some distance away, they swayed to the rhythm of his words. Obi-Wan sensed their collective grief evolving into a more tangible anger, something that carried enough momentum through the Force to pull his concentration. They sought retribution in some form, someone to absorb their community's pain. He took a quick breath and told himself to focus. Just as the galaxy listened to Ayam, soon it would be his turn. Was our tragedy caused by someone from the Republic? We will hear both sides of the case. But one thing that must be considered, what were the conditions that caused such a tragedy to happen that put Cato Neimodia in the crosshairs of someone else's war? Had the Republic recognized Neimodians as a people rather than tools of transaction, would their relationship with Cato Neimodia and the Trade Federation be different? Would they have enacted greater protections to worlds such as Cato Neimodia as the conflict unfolded? Arms raised, he gestured outward, upward, each movement creating another wave of noise from the crowd. Would Cato Neimodia even still be a target as we determine the innocence or guilt of the Jedi Emissary? Perhaps this context is even more important. A wave of noise came from beyond the walls. The crowd's uproar rolling over the structures and buildings around them. The minister waited for the noise to settle, a space for his words to take root. What is on trial here is much more than a single act of terrorism. Let us hear from the Jedi Emissary. The judge excused Minister Ayam, then looked directly at Obi-Wan. A rifle muzzle jabbed into his back, nudging him forward until he stood directly in front of the judge. And though he spoke directly to her, Obi-Wan took great care in knowing that his words were being listened to by governments all across the galaxy. Everything that had happened led to this point, this negotiation. Obi-Wan considered all of the gears of government across countless systems, how his words might impact chances of either peace or war. You are right, Minister Ayam. History does not lie, and I cannot condone the long-time actions the Republic has made in dismissing the Neimodian people and its colonies time and again. I cannot justify the ignorance. The way the Republic has seen the Neimodians as assets of the Trade Federation rather than sentient beings. You have every right to be angry. You have every right to want a better life for your people and your children. You have earned your voice as a people and for those represented by the Trade Federation. I understand the need to be heard, but I urge you now. Being heard requires truth and faith in return. So I ask you to judge the truths I will present in good faith Otherwise, this war will consume us all. Outside, the mass of hostility gradually trickled into quiet. 
Obi-Wan hoped the more humble and philosophical tone of his words countered the bluster of I am. Statements that might spur reflection rather than whip up frenzy. He chose his words carefully. A blanket to drape calm over the storm. You have lost loved ones. You have lost children. I cannot bring them back. But if you listen to me right now, everyone here, everyone watching this holocast, in the Republic or in a neutral system or aligned with Count Dooku's movement, we have a chance to stop this war. His last few words projected with emphasis, as if he had said them strongly enough that they could have ordered both sides to put down their weapons. I repeat, we have a chance to stop this war, so no more lives are lost. Seconds ticked by, the crowd quieting to a point that Caterine Mordia's winds blew louder than the gathered mass. I will now detail my findings in full proper context. Obi-Wan reached out through the force for any sense of how combustible the crowd was, but grief turned out to be their default emotion, which meant how they took the next part of his speech would be completely unpredictable. He considered his words, so carefully planned, and committed to trusting that the right people would recognize his attempt at good-faith negotiation. I have seen the evidence. I have seen it in my own investigation as well as data gathered by others. Was Rube nearby? He hoped so. And he hoped what he was about to say met with her approval. It is true. There is evidence that points to the Republic. The information on the data pad I uncovered was authentic. This bombing's details match materials and protocols used by the Republic. The evidence shows this, and I will not lie for political purposes. From afar, the clamor of the crowd started again, and Obi-Wan knew that his window of opportunity to make his point would quickly close. He needed to strike with precision here. I ask you to wait and listen before you judge, because there is more, further evidence, evidence pointing to the separatists, just as the data pad showed materials and protocols matching Republic bombs used by the clone army, I can confirm that Katasura was also attacked using materials and protocols matching separatist laser bombs. Voices from outside created a communal din, an acknowledgement that things had taken an unexpected turn. Please, you must see the truth. There is something else at play here. Something that is trying to escalate the fighting. Someone or something that is making gains off all our suffering. That is the cause of this tragedy. And the culprit is still at large. Extremist groups are already involved with the war. Your own government has sworn off the actions of Luke Gunray as an extremist faction. And now this bombing with materials drawn from both sides, and indeed placed to look like both sides, so both the Republic and the Separatists can fight even more battles, fire even more weapons at each other. His voice took on a rhythm, 
Something not that different from the soaring pause of Ayab's cadence. But this was not calculated theater. Obi-Wan let the urgency of the moment guide him every word a step toward his ultimate goal. There is only one solution for all of us, on all sides. De-escalation. And there is only one path to de-escalation. The Trade Federation cannot stay neutral in this war. Neutrality in the face of extremism only gives the extremists more space to breathe. It must be extinguished before more lives are lost, and the only way to stop it is to de-escalate the war. My name is Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Master and Emissary of the Republic, and I have presented the facts to you in good faith. I now invite you to return that good faith. Join me in recognizing this threat. A threat not just to the people of Cato Neimoidia, but to the Trade Federation and to stability across the entire galaxy. If the Trade Federation aligns with the Republic, we can use this tragedy as a first step to coming together and negotiating peace with the Separatists. More noise came from the crowd outside, but by now the voices mixed too densely to decipher what type of reaction was playing out. Just that the reaction existed. Obi-Wan gave himself equal odds of taking steps toward peace and throwing an accelerant on the galaxy. If Anakin were here, surely he'd have a witty remark for Obi-Wan to roll his eyes at. And now we will hear from the royal guard of Cato Neimordia, the judge said. Please present your evidence. Behind Obi-Wan came the sound of a door sliding open. Boots hit stone, creating an even and steady cadence as the guard entered the courtyard and moved forward. Obi-Wan didn't look. He knew who it would be. Kitar's voice came laced with venom. This emissary, he said with an unexpected pious tone. From the Republic speaks of truth and good faith. And yet here is the truth. Obi-Wan Kenobi of the Jedi Order has come here under false pretenses. He has lied to every single person in the square, every single person on Cato Neimoidia, every single person mourning a dead brother or sister or child or parent or friend. He is lying to you and cleverly concealing that lie in a truth about the recovered data pad. The young guard held up the device, its holographic details fully projecting. This data pad, the one implicating the Republic. And yet, you claim there's further evidence of separatist materials in the bombing. Where is your source implicating the separatists? The pure technical truth was that Obi-Wan wasn't sure. He'd hoped Rue was around somewhere watching the proceedings and acting as a form of safety net for him. But he didn't know the answer to that question, and regardless, he was in no position to reveal her involvement. I must protect my source. Perhaps if I had a few more days... So, Kitar said, a certain joy in his interruption. 
An anonymous source, no physical evidence, and only his word to go on. Let me tell you something about the word of the Republic. Kitar deactivated the bomb data holograph, then looked directly at Obi-Wan. Now our Jedi friend likes to talk about good faith, so let me speak on that. We know that to the Republic, Neimoidian physiology is often misunderstood, often mocked. We know that the Republic sees Neimoidian culture as business assets, sees us as cogs of galactic commerce and nothing else. But all of us here on Cato Neimoidia know that Neimoidians are much more than that. Every single one of you knows a Neimoidian who is a scholar or an artist, or a historian, or a philosopher. Neimordians like my parents, who were artists in fact. Oh, like many Neimordian artists, they didn't make their living that way. As much as our society celebrates artists, our reality within the Republic requires our culture's most celebrated to work. Keita looked over at the overseeing officials in expected ways, which they did. They worked to optimize the computer systems that supported transactional databases. But their true passion was found here, on Cato Neimordia, all the way on the surface. The luminescent oils found on the trees below the mist, they painted with those, a rare skill. That delicate touch to preserve the oil so the glow changes with light and temperature rather than fading away. When I was a child, they showed me the natural wonders of our planet. Their work was so esteemed in our sector that they were even invited to show it at Coruscant's Festival of Stars. I remember... Kitar paused, his gaze dropping and voice softening. I remember the piece exactly. The way the oils lit from black to brilliant colors to white, an ode to the magic of hyperspace travel. Now I'll explain to our Republic emissary. Transporting bioluminescent oil is not easy. That is why so much of this art stays here on Cato Neimoidia. But they were determined. They took all necessary precautions to protect their work from the rigors of hyperspace and atmospheric entry. Yet when they got there, the first Neimoidians to present at such prestigious event, how do you think Republic officials treated them? Obi-Wan knew exactly where this was headed. And with that realization, he could feel the screws turning even without the low murmur of the surrounding crowd. A unique artistic vision, only possible by Neimoidians living here on Cato Neimoidia. And on Coruscant, they were given the runaround, even doubted about its authenticity. After all, as you can guess, the Republic only views Neimoidians in one way. And on the third night of the festival, when they were finally given a quiet corner to display their work, it was vandalized overnight. Kitar's eyes closed, his hands balled into fists. Such a tale had nothing to do with the Katasura disaster. 
Yet Obi-Wan knew that the trajectory of the Clone Wars might tilt on one family's tragedy. It turned out that those on Coruscant may not know Neymodian artwork, but they are very familiar with Neymodian slurs. Slurs that I will not repeat here. My parents left early, discouraged by how Coruscant treated them. And though it's a relatively short trip back to the colonies, they decided to use that extra time to explore other regions they had yet to see. Through Republic-protected hyperspace lanes. Kitar met Obi-Wan's eyes. An unblinking stare that told him how this story ended. They never came home. Pirates raided their shuttle. In the Republic's so-called law and order, their trustworthy hyperlanes turned out not to be so. Only a single distress call made it through. He reached behind him and produced a small disc in his palm. His other hand tapped a button on the side and out projected what Obi-Wan assumed to be the family painting. A swirl of dots and lines with colors moving in the most impossible ways. Even in a small holographic form, Obi-Wan recognized its unique beauty. And though shame wasn't a feeling Jedi encountered very often, he distinctly understood it here. Look at what the Republic promises have done to my family. Their pride, their safety, our stability. The biggest holonet stars in the galaxy get paraded around with armed escorts. Cato Neymordia's most talented artists? Nothing. The hologram faded away. Kitar putting the projector back in his pocket. You may be asking why this matters here, and I'll tell you why. Because we have heard talk about good faith today and all our lives. Good faith? Kitar asked, his voice escalating. From the Republic? It has never existed. Never. And now I will give you one very real, very relevant example of this. The last word came at a full yell, one that caused even the judge to wince. One last try. Who is your source implicating the separatists? Kitar's question hung in the air, enough time passing that the noise from the nearby crowd grew in volume, a sound that synthesized both the venom and the desperation of their anxieties of this moment. Obi-Wan considered his last discussion with Rug. In theory, he could name her. Would that be enough to sway the judge, the crowd, even Kitar? And what would that do to Rug? She'd said herself that helping him put her life at risk. Did he have the right to do that, even with the galaxy at stake? Would he sacrifice Rug for this? 
We love bringing you more Star Wars, and it is because of our partners that we can do this week after week. So we invite you to be one of those partners. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep this going. Your support will give us the ability to create future episodes, as well as provide you with the best sounding show on your playlist. And to express our appreciation, we will give you a shout out on our mid-series show that we do in the middle of every book. You will also be automatically entered in all future giveaways. All you have to do is go to the show notes and click that listener support link. Now let's get back to the show. Well, Kenobi, Kitar asked. He did not. He would not put her in harm's way. I cannot reveal my source right now. If you give me more time, I'm certain something can be arranged. This Jedi. Kitar maintained his intensity, hands turning into fists at his side. Dodges questions, lies about equipment, destroys evidence. He speaks of truth? Here is the truth of Obi-Wan Kenobi. He does not view Namordians as equals, and he, like the Republic dealing with my parents, wants all of us to live quiet, inconsequential lives so that they may abuse us from the core worlds, so they may continue to treat us as assets. He wants the Republic to own Namorians, to take away our freedom. Kitar circled until he stood directly in front of Obi-Wan, then stepped toward him until they were face to face, eyes unblinking. To that, I say he is guilty of conspiring against Cato de Mordia, of covering up evidence, of breaking his promises, and of a much larger crime, one that he shares with the Republic, devaluing every single Namordian in the galaxy. I have two words for him in the Republic, and I will speak them not in our beautiful pack-pack, but in basic, in his tongue. No more. In that moment, Obi-Wan realized the massive miscalculation he'd made. He'd put all his faith in facts, but completely ignored the power of emotion in swaying the masses. No matter what he might have said, what evidence he might have presented, nothing would connect with a mourning people like one of their own playing to the power of displaced grief. He tried to interject, trying to get something in to express his sympathies, to emphasize the importance of strong galactic relations and stability. But it was no use, and any momentum he had dissipated, absorbed into the roar from outside, one that moved with enough fervor that it nearly shook the ground of the bridge city. The Neimurian government is known for its swift and decisive justice. And though some cases require many more days to reach a decision, this particular case is clear. The judge pointed directly at Obi-Wan, the tips of her ceremonial purple headdress blowing in the wind. Does the defendant wish to say any closing words? Obi-Wan adjusted in his boots his posture straight and eyes clear as he looked directly at the judge. I have presented the truth. 
For hours, he'd crafted his backup plan, playing out every detail and option with the sole intent of not using it. The power of truth was supposed to win out, and its failure caused Obi-Wan to breathe out a defeated exhale. The sheer strangeness of raw emotional swings creating a brief but tangible bout of exhaustion. And now I put my faith in you. I await your judgment. Several seconds of silence passed as the judge raised one hand, a calming pause that radiated like a blanket over the proceedings. With nothing to compete against her words, she spoke with a clear and exact diction. The emissary from the Republic is found guilty of conspiring against the laws of Cato Neimordia, of being in collusion with the Republic in the tragedy of Katasura, and of attempting to hide evidence of that crime. Behind Obi-Wan, approaching guards began a rhythmic stomp, and he tensed himself as Kitar walked in front, putting himself between Obi-Wan and the judge. Obi-Wan glanced up at the tall structure where his lightsaber sat embedded in a wall, the so-called Tower of Light, according to I am. Take him away to await sentencing. A far door opened to his left, which he assumed led to a holding cell, and ahead of him, Ventress appeared on the dais. Though she remained slightly hidden behind I am, she looked directly at him making eye contact before tilting her head. Then she pointed at the guards closing in behind him. He sensed his weapon as easily as if it sat in his palm. Should he pull it now? No, he thought. Making a commotion now would likely defeat what little goodwill he'd earned in his speech. In fact, it might play into Ventress's and Dooku's plan. Obi-Wan decided to leave his lightsaber for now and go quietly, adapting any plan to what lay ahead. Except the marching stopped. Their steady approach paused, replaced with a single thunk, followed by the clatter of a dropped weapon. Obi-Wan turned to see the lead guard on his knees, hands to his throat. Foam leaked out of the corners of his mouth, and he gurgled before collapsing sideways. The Jedi has poisoned the guards! Kitar's voice soared through the space, and Obi-Wan spun around to find Kitar with pistol drawn. And above him, Ventress remained, arms still pointed outward, though she slowly brought it down. The corner of her mouth curled upward and she nodded at Obi-Wan, though he didn't have time to guess at her plan, not with Kitar's weapon drawn. This is not my doing! He called out as loudly and clearly as possible. We need medical assistance right now! Emergency medical personnel, however, did not arrive. Instead, several further guards sprinted in from the far tunnel. The Jedi is trying to subvert our security! Kedar shouted again. Please hurry! This god needs medical attention! Obi-Wan's voice was nearly as loud as Kedar's. If you release me, I can help stop your lies, Jedi! You are a liar and a murderer! 
Kitar's arm stiffened and his eyes narrowed. In that moment, Obi-Wan reached out to the Force, sensing his lightsaber. It was to be a last resort. Pulling it meant unleashing something that could not be undone. He had to choose carefully. From the side came the sound of other guards rushing. Obi-Wan turned to catch sight of them rushing to their fallen comrade, but before he could even take a single step, the sound of blaster fire rang out. The bolt soared past his waist and singed the ground some three or four meters behind him, burning a gash into the stone. Specks and chips of stone spiked into the air, and a scorched odor hit his nose. He's making his move! Kitar yelled. All eyes turned to Kitar, including Obi-Wan's, and Obi-Wan noticed a subtle shift in the way Kitar held the pistol. The young guard changed his angle, so slightly that only the most perceptive observers would take note. As that happened, another guard fell to his knees, choking in a similar way. And just as that happened, two more bolts fired from Kitar's pistol, both landing near Obi-Wan, but avoiding any direct hits. With that, it became clear what Kitar's plan was. Taking out Obi-Wan in front of the guards, the judge, indeed the galaxy via the broadcast, that might fail to rally support to his purposes, whatever they were. But with his scattered fire, the choking guards, and false claims of Obi-Wan's actions, Kitar framed Obi-Wan as the aggressor without any direct combat. And from the dais, Ventress moved, her arm briefly held up in another point before dropping. She turned and disappeared behind Iam and other local officials. The click of rifles unfurled all around him. A quick look saw weapons lifted one by one. And it didn't matter that his hands were still bound. Seconds ago, he'd sought the most peaceful, most diplomatic solution possible. Now, with Kitar's fear and rage driving the proceedings, combat felt inevitable. And it was his duty as a Jedi to redirect that violence in a way that minimized harm to the mourning populace, and indeed, to a galaxy on the edge of ripping itself apart. He didn't want to use it. Not in this way. But Obi-Wan knew his lightsaber would be necessary. He shut his eyes and let the force flow through him, igniting perceptions far beyond his physical senses. Murmurs from the crowd danced like raindrops in an ocean, individual strikes that melded into the greater flow. The energy shackles around his wrists deactivated. Circuits crunched through the force to turn the bindings into dead weight. At the same time, he stretched his senses upward, far up the tower, to pull his lightsaber free. In his slowed perception, another blaster bolt discharged, a burst of red starting to escape a guard's muzzle. Milliseconds after it came the others, a gap that felt like minutes in the state. As this played out, the lightsaber hurtled through the air. It approached, a speed pushed forward through a combination of gravity and the force pulling it. Obi-Wan's legs tensed, 
ready to fly straight up the instant he was reunited with his weapon. The vector of the hill projected in his mind, along with a calculation of how high he would need to vault up after catching it, when to snap his hand open, when to time the arrival in his palm with the immediate move to form a defensive pose. All of that came together in a single instant, a plan ready to execute with perfect precision when something else arrived breaking all of Obi-Wan's careful timing. Okay, this was a long part with a lot of back and forth between I am and Obi-Wan. I am is trying to portray the Jedi and the Republic as racist against the Nymordians. And from a certain point of view, he is right. Maybe not about the Jedi, but most of the Republic looks down on the Nymordians. Even some of the Jedi were guilty. Then Kitar starts in with his accusations. The whole first part was a back and forth. And after 30 minutes of politics, some action takes place. Venture starts force choking some of the guards. Kitar is yelling that Obi-Wan is doing it, using his Jedi powers. At this point, Obi-Wan knows he needs his lightsaber, so he uses the force to call it to himself. But before it gets there, the guards fire upon him. Obi-Wan knows he has to time everything right, and right before his saber gets to his hand, he feels something. And that's where this part came to an end, leaving us on a cliffhanger, which is great and sucks at the same time. Great because it builds up anticipation, but now I know I have to wait an entire week just to find out what's going to happen next. But that's not all we have for today, because we still got the quote of the week, and it comes to us from an unknown writer. Some have credited Churchill for writing it, but there is no confirmation of that. So we are just going to say it came from a wise person, and this is how it goes. Success is not a destination, it's a journey. Embrace the challenges, learn from the setbacks, and keep moving forward. This quote emphasizes that success is just not a one-time achievement, but a continuous process of growth and development. It's about embracing the challenges that come with the journey, learning from the setbacks, and persevering despite the obstacles. This quote can be applied to various aspects of life, whether in your career, your education, or your personal goals. For example, imagine a student that has been struggling with a particular subject in school. Instead of giving up or feeling discouraged, the student can use this quote as a reminder that success is a journey and that the setbacks and challenges are all part of the process. The student can seek help, learn from their mistakes, and keep moving forward with the belief that they can overcome any obstacles and achieve their goals. In this way, the quote can serve as a source of motivation and inspiration, something to help you stay focused on your journey towards success. Okay, that's all I have for this episode. Join us next week for Part 41 of Star Wars Brotherhood. We hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Audio Archives. Join us next time for more Star Wars adventures. If you would like to listen to other episodes of the show, you can follow us on your favorite podcast directory. If you enjoyed the show, we would greatly appreciate a five-star review. Once again, thank you for listening, and may the Force be with you. Sway was created by Keen Eye Shed and is a production of Pick Film Media and was distributed by Sway Cast Networks. This show was produced by Quentin McDaniel. Star Wars Brotherhood was read to you by Jason O'Dagan. Sound designed by Theodore Thompson. I am your host, Kyle, and we will see you next time in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs>